Hello and welcome to this episode of the South American Football Show. This week we're going to continue our look at all of the different nations in South America, look at how their league has restarted, look at some of their prospects for the Libertadores, some of the key transfers, the development of the women's game, and then look ahead to the national team and their prospects for World Cup qualification, which is due to start in October. So I'm delighted to say we're welcoming back Brian uh, Bertie to the pod uh, for this episode on Peru. Uh, Brian was the founder of the Peruvian Waltz, and he now has the Enganche's Vision, which is a, was a podcast and a, and information on scouting. So uh, Brian, welcome. Hello, uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, I founded the Peruvian Waltz. I um, uh, I'm still in the group chat, but I'm not managing the. I'm not managing the site anymore or the or the Twitter page. I never managed the Twitter page, but I, I'm not managing like the whole thing anymore. I make brief appearances on the podcast from time to time, but I'm not a regular anymore. I passed it on to uh, Peter Galindo, who is uh, uh who was my co-host and he was uh he was like my sidekick basically, and now he owns it. So yeah, um he's I think he's doing a decent job and uh I I, I hope it continues on because it, it's definitely very much needed. There's not many if any others at all, Peruvian uh, football in English. Okay, excellent. There you go, Peter. Uh, Peter here, who Peruvian Waltz, also Sportsnet. There you have the vote of approval, Peter. It's good to hear, no? Yeah, I don't think you really needed to introduce me after that. Brian did a good enough job for for you. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Okay, absolutely. So let's get into let's get into things. Um, Peruvian league football. Uh, Peter, tell me so. It, uh, the domestic football has restarted. Give me a, a sense of how that went. Have there been any issues? And how has been the management of that restart so far? Well, initially, it was obviously supposed to resume a few weeks ago. But then after issues from the Universitario Cantolao match, where Universitario fans were seen congregating outside Estadio Nacional, uh, the government put a quick shutdown to the league, uh, at least temporarily, and basically postponed all the matches from that restart to a week or two later, where it's now gone somewhat without a hitch we've still seen some teams uh breaking protocol uh chief among them was actually the champions binacional uh then we've seen problems at uh, deportivo yacobamba who were promoted from copa peru last year uh where they actually had and this is such a peruvian story but they had a bus driver uh impersonate medical personnel so they could somehow pass protocol in order to keep playing the games uh Uh, A couple personnel were actually banned as a result for multiple years because of this. But other than that, I mean, I know that that's quite a few issues, but other than that, uh, I feel like the quality of play has been pretty decent considering everybody has been playing in Lima. Obviously, provincial teams who might be used to the altitude and whatnot have actually looked pretty good. Um, It took a couple match days, but I feel like now that everybody's played two or three games, you're really starting to see everybody hit their stride. Uh, And that's good news for the quality because I've been pleasantly surprised by it. Although I feel like now at this point, uh, one or two teams, certainly one team might be running away with the apertura at this point yeah brian so it looks like universitario in a good place have they been the clear standout for you so far well yes uh they've been solid from the start i'll I'll quickly i'll briefly go over the story uh of the season so um i i'd say since the restart cristal have actually been the best team they rehired roberto mosquera who was arguably the best manager of the last decade and uh it took him a while to get going before the restart they looked poor uh, uh, even before that, they were looking poor. They lost 4-0 to Barcelona in the uh, Copa Libertadores. It was a pretty bad performance. 
And even the home leg where they won 2 1, it wasn't that great. But Sporting Cristal, uh, since the restart, I've really looked one of the best teams, if not the best team. But they were already quite far behind. So it, it was it always it was gonna be a monumental task to catch up to Lau. Lau, on the other hand, uh, they hired Gregorio Perez uh, at the start of the season, who is, uh, I think he's more than 75 years old now. He's a Uruguayan manager, but he left uh, mostly because of uh, internal issues with the uh, administration. Uh, although, personally, I think it was because he, he just felt safer in Uruguay, and considering he's at risk, it, it wasn't really worth managing for him. That's just my personal hunch. And uh, la- they hired Angel Comiso, who is, to put it in your term, Simon, he's the comesaña of Universitario. Every time they sack a manager, they, they just bring him back. So uh, he's, he's, he's a good manager for, um, for situations like this where it's risk-free. And uh, he's a good manager for, to finish off the job. But he, um, he definitely isn't the, um, uh, the best manager for the long term. I think he's a good manager short term at the moment. And he's doing a pretty good job. He's seven points clear with this team. And Universitario have been a very close second for best team since the restart. They look very solid. Like, there's not many weak points in that side. And uh, they're not not going to score as much as Cristal, but they'll get the job done. That's where I'm getting at. Okay, and Peter, uh, looking at the league, uh, you know, there's some surprise names at the top and there's a particularly big name down the bottom Alianza Lima down in 15th place what's gone wrong for Alianza and have there been any teams that have pleasantly surprised you so far in the league season well when it comes to Alianza I feel we could dedicate an entire podcast to their issues I, I'm almost kind of sensing that they're just going to panic and bring back in Bengochea for like the 19th time he's he's actually the, the Comesania of, Al- of Alianza for going along <laughs> the same the same uh, theme but uh, I feel like recently I think injuries to the back line haven't helped really at all um, but really defensively it hasn't been may- maybe at least up until the last couple of games against Melgar and UTC it hasn't been as much of an issue for them as the attack has been um they just don't look really that free flowing in midfield i think a lot of it has to do with they just haven't really upgraded the midfield a lot and they have a couple of younger players like escate for example um who could probably be upgrades over the likes of cruzado over asquez i just feel like they roam across the pitch way too much and there isn't enough flow to the front three uh particularly Pato Rubio and Osling Mora, Brian's boy. Um, and, you know, that to me is the biggest issue with them. I mean, Pato Rubio, he'd literally just arrived, um, but he's looked decent in the couple games he's played. Um, he's just not really getting the service. And I feel like that's the biggest issue is that the midfield just isn't really up to snuff. And to Mario Salas's uh, credit, the coach who, who came in basically as the pandemic put a pause to all of football in, in South America. Um, this really isn't entirely his squad. Pato Rubio is really the one big signing he's made. Um, and I feel like the fact that he has inherited all these players, this isn't really a Salas team. Whereas when he came in at Cristal a couple of years ago, he was able to build that in his image, whereas he hasn't really been able to do it here. And I feel like that's a bit of a problem, but I feel like in the Libertadores, they do have a little bit of an opportunity to make a push and at least get a win, which is something they haven't been able to do for years and years and years. Um, but given the midfield issues and the injuries to the back line, I am a little bit concerned about them at this point in time. 
Okay, sounds interesting. And Brian, uh, maybe one of those teams that surprised you. Uh, Azul Kucho are doing very well, not a team I'm familiar with. Uh, up in second place, is there anyone in particular who you think of maybe overachieved or maybe defied some of the expectations this year? Okay, so um, there's two in particular, uh, actually three. Uh, yeah, I'd say three because they're tied on points. Ayacucho, uh, they were pretty good last year. But uh, I thought they were going to go downhill. I thought they were going to start fighting relegation again like they used to in the old days. Uh, but they actually, uh, they, they, they've been a pleasant surprise. Uh, some of their signings, which I wasn't too impressed with, one of them was my boy Roberto Marin, who I thought was poor at Alianza, and I thought it was done. But he came back, and he's probably the best right back in the league now. So Ayacucho, have, uh, uh, they also have Mauricio Montes, who played in the Panamericano game, Panamericanos with a uh, Prisoner 23s. Uh, he's 38, but he was one of the overage players. He's been a pretty consistent goal scorer for years. So those are two players that Kucho have. And um, like I said, I thought they were going to go downhill, but they've actually been better this year than they were last year. Last year, they were pretty strong. They fought for a Sumericana, just barely missed out. But this year, it looks like they might actually qualify. The other surprise is Alianza Universidad, who for the longest time didn't actually have home TV rights. Um... They, they basically they um they they they, they are broadcasted by direct direct TV uh, instead of Movistar, which is what broadcast all the other games, barring three other teams. And they didn't have TV rights for the longest time until the pandemic and the restart came. So it is um definitely a, uh, a one that surprised me. They signed a few new, new players. Jack Duran was already there. He was a player who was very playing the grassroots of Peruvian football for the longest time, but uh, he. He he's been he's been proven to be a top top ten player or not top ten player but a top ten team player uh, for uh, for the, the Liga Uno and there's also Enzo Maidana who scored plenty of goals in Bolivia and he's been pretty good for, for Atlanta University as well and Leonard Pajoy who's a Colombian that you might be familiar with Simon uh, I'm not sure if you are but he's 36 he was pretty bad for Alianza in his second season but in his first season I think he scored like 30 goals or something. So he's a, he's a pretty experienced striker, and I think he's definitely got something. Now, the other team, the, the team that really surprised me is UTC, uh, Universidad Tecnica Cajamarca, because they have 18 points, and I honestly expect them to fight relegation. They brought back Navarro after they sacked him last season. I have no idea why, but it seems to be working for them. I don't think they have the greatest squad in the world. So I think that this is a, definitely a, a bit of a surprise for me. That there are tied on points, but yeah, there's only one clear victor here, and it's low. And before we finish looking at uh, Peruvian domestic football, Peter, the world's favorite club, uh, cup competition, the Copa Peru, uh, I believe it was cancelled this year. Uh, and how are last year's champions, uh, Carlos Thiem, doing? They look like they might survive uh, relegation, which is always impressive for a team. You could give a bit of context for the Copa Peru, let us know what happened and uh, how Carlos Thiem have managed to potentially save themselves <laughs> uh well yeah brian can maybe jump in here as well just to kind of help me out as well but yeah copa peru i feel like when the pandemic hit there was very little chance that they were even going to get it in they were having problems with liga dos bringing that back the second division um but it looks like that's going to get played and there's going to be a promoted team which is good to see um because there are a couple of bigger clubs mainly juan Aurich down in the second division who deserve to be in the top flight uh yeah copa peru I mean, this has been, I mean, this is such a controversial area because 
I feel like everybody in the Peruvian Waltz group chat is of the same opinion that the fact that there is direct promotion from all these semi-pro amateur and in some cases you know former big clubs in the top flight the fact that there's direct promotion from this competition to the Leono is very very flawed because then you see issues like you know Yakuabamba coming up and acting super unprofessionally clubs not able to pay their players they don't have tv rights in place just very basic things that any top flight club in a reputable footballing country like Peru should have. Um, But the fact that it's not getting played, I think is a little bit unfortunate um, because it is a tradition. I mean, as much as we like to bag on it it being Peruvian, um, you know, it is a lot of fun when it gets to the nitty gritty. Um, Yes, there are flaws with it, but it is a fun competition. The fact it's not getting played um, is, is a little bit unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the, there is a bit of a silver lining in that they can't get promoted straight from Copa Peru to the first division next year. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's all fun and games until they've got to start paying wages and travel around the country and keep their floodlights turned on. And yeah. You know. Yeah. Nacional are also one of the clubs that went up and they're the current champion. So, uh, although they're just as poorly run as some of the other clubs, so they're not really an exception. Yeah, well, I mean, from the outside, it's it's fascinating and it's fun. <laughs> um, but perhaps I don't have to deal with the, the week-to-week issues. A little, bit, a little bit of a fun fact for you, Simon. Uh, I, might, I might be very wrong on this one, but uh, I'm going to include it. Uh, the Copa Peru is not the only cup in South America that has a similar style to that. Bolivia's second division, I'm pretty sure, is like the Copa Peru as well. Uh, the only difference is that that's actually the second division. So, like, it's not like... It's it, like it still has the amateur clubs and stuff, but it, it, it it's the same deal. It's like regional, then district, all regional, and then uh, uh, and the departmental, if that's what they're called in Bolivia. But it's the same deal. So you can look that up later, Simon, if you want. It's uh, it's definitely an it's definitely an interesting one. And yeah, I think I it should go- be talked about as well. Yeah, I had a go at managing in the Bolivian second division, and it all got a bit complicated. <laughs> but, hey, <laughs> South American football for you. What can you say? Indeed. Okay, so before we move on, um, I'm also keen to, to know um, it's something that we're, we're interested in here or something we're trying to promote. What about women's football in Peru? Uh, Peter, I'll start with you. Has women's football returned in any form? How is the current sense and, and momentum behind women's football? Are there things that can be done to help push that forward? How has been the support? If you can just give me a general idea of where we are and, and what we need to do to move forward, um, supporting the women's game in Peru. Sure. Um, we've seen some progress made, actually some pretty big progress over the last couple of years. There are players now going abroad, um, and that is obviously great, great news because a lot of the players on the women's senior national team were playing uh, at home. And, you know, obviously the likes of Universitario and whatnot do put money into their women's teams, but you don't see enough of it, I feel, across the Peruvian football pyramid, which is a bit unfortunate. But I feel like the fact that Peru hosted the Pan Am games, the fact that they had the women's team there, the fact that fans were 
turning up in droves to see them. There is support for the women's game among the public, which is good to see. Um, it's slowly making strides. I feel like the youth national teams as well did very, very well at the, at the recent South American championships. Um, so you're starting to see some players come through and a lot more uh, dual nationals, mainly from the United States, are starting to get recruited over, which should improve the quality of, of the program. Um, in, in terms of actually seeing it return, I haven't actually seen anything concrete about that, but I feel like they are getting close, if not, um, which, which would obviously be great to see because everybody should be playing at this point in time, especially if you are risking the men's lives and they're coming back. I mean, then why can't the, the women play, really? Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully that... Uh... That is resolved and, and women's football can return. Brian, any thoughts on the women's game in Peru? Anything that you'd like to see moving forward? Uh, everything Peter says is true. Uh, I think the problem with the women's game, I, I used to cover women's football a few years ago when I went to, uh, when I was in the Peruvian Waltz and I was just trying to uh, increase uh, the diversity and also increase um, also increase the popularity of the, of the website. So I was covering it for a bit and um, a few years ago it was being played at this uh Stadium called El Estadio River, which was very similar to La Bombonera, which is kind of ironic. But uh, um, I went a few years ago. It was, it was the final four of the Lima region. It was, it's like the Copa Peru. Like they play against um, they they play against the best teams uh, of the of the country after that stage. And um, yeah, the level was quite low, and but the problem that that, that that's not the problem for me. The problem was that they just weren't getting enough support. Then uh, two years later, I wasn't able to go, uh, but uh, I saw that La Uvers Alianza actually filled. Well, it didn't fill up, but it was playing the Estadio Nacional, and it brought a good amount of people. So that's definitely progress for sure. And um, one other thing I should mention is that uh, one of the reasons for uh, women football in Peru doesn't increase popularity is. Just like Peter said, it's just not enough. Um, not enough teams are uh, investing in their women's team. Like you got a low Alianza, which is normally an even game, but the next game Lau plays against some nothing team and wins like fifteen nil, and that just doesn't increase the interest at all. So I think the interest from women's football in Peru will definitely come from some of the players going abroad and playing for the national team because it, there's still a lot of work to be done. But it's it's good progress. As for the women's league re- returning, I agree with everything Peter said as well there. Uh, if you can, if you can risk the men's life, why not the woman? I guess I suppose because they're not getting paid as much. That's just that's just my guess, but I I, I can't be too sure on that one. Yeah, well, hopefully. I mean, I'm playing a, a game next Sunday, so if I can play, I don't know why women far superior to me playing at a far higher level than I am can't. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I suppose it's because of the tests and whatnot. So I I, I, I one thing one thing I should, I wanted to mention earlier. One thing I like about uh, the proving, like I wasn't totally on board of the league stopping it the first time, but one thing I like is that there, there's standards. Like looking at what happened with Boca and Libertad uh, today and what could happen this week, I like that there's standards in Peru, and that's not something you can say every day or every single year. This, this time, things are looking things are looking uh, serious. Which is good. Okay, now let's talk about some of the big transfers uh, with Peruvian players. Quite a few of the national team players have been on the move, as well as uh, some youngsters. And I'd like to start with a, a youngster who's been really attracting the attention. Um, Peter, can you first tell me who is Clivert Aguilar? And is this move, this big move to the City Group, 
uh, going to be going to be going to work well. He's a player who's obviously very interesting, a lot of physical characteristics. But what are they getting, and what are your thoughts on the move? Yeah, this was a massive move. I feel for the Peruvian game. Um, but in terms of Aguilar as a player, just to maybe briefly describe what he's like, he is a right back, um, shined brightly for Peru's under 17s last year at the Sudamericano sub 17. Um, looked very, very strong and very mature for a 16 year old. Like you wouldn't believe he was the age he was just based on how much he was bossing these kids, his own age. Um, then he gets his professional debut with Alianza. He doesn't look at all out of place there. And the, the way he's just able to fearlessly drive forward with the ball, the way he's able to exploit space, um, the fact that he does have you know a, a pretty good uh, profile in terms of his body. Like He does have some strength. He is able to compete one-on-one with uh, grown men. And you know, he is also just the, the, the vision in general is just very top notch for someone so young with such little experience. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people were excited to see him play this year before getting his move at 18 years of age to Manchester city. Now, will he obviously compete at Manchester city right away? Obviously not. Um, I could see him getting a loan to one of their, uh, sister teams like New York city FC. Maybe he goes to Spain. Um, I could definitely see that that wouldn't be the worst thing either, because I feel like, um, a lot more Peruvians like him would benefit just by getting that opportunity to go to Europe, even if it's not to a Manchester City, even if it's to you know a, a team in the second division competing for promotion in Spain, or to a New York City FC in a developing league like MLS. Um, I feel that would be very ideal. So the fact that this transfer happened is great news. Um, and then maybe we'll see more of these happening because you're starting to see more scouts kind of looking at Liga Uno a little more closely because of the fact that there is value. And with the pandemic kind of affecting things for clubs financially, maybe they will take more chances on players like Gluivert Aguilar in the future. Yeah, I definitely hope so. I mean, a player who immediately caught my eye for for Peru has always been Christian Cueva. Uh, Brian, he's off to Turkey. Uh, Is this going to be a chance to reignite his career or is this going to be perhaps a bit of a dead end? What were your thoughts on the move and where the Christian Cueva can get back to that point where he was a real interesting kind of standout playmaker here in South America? That's a tough question. And honestly, I think neither because um, I think Cueva dead, does get his chance because of um, uh, he many every every time uh, many people say that his discipline is going to make him end back and then back up at Sarvallejo or something. But I, um, I think this is definitely another chance to impress in Europe. But the other problem is uh, this Yeni Malatya Spore team. Like they have an interesting project. They signed some decent players, but they're players that are either uh, they are either uh, washed up and too old, or have have had historically had discipline problems. So I'm not sure what to make of it. To be honest, it's it's definitely a tough one to answer. I think Cueva uh, is the, the one thing that shines for Cueva is he's always looked good for the national team, no matter. How, how much overweight he has been, no matter how ill-disciplined he has been, no matter how poor uh, he's been for his clubs. When he, whenever he steps in that pitch in the Peru short, he always performs. And that's one that's one thing that gets me confident. But I really ho- wanted him to get his career back on track because at this point, he's uh, le- he's had a worse club career than Carrillo because even at his last, at the end of Alianza Lima, he wasn't good. 
He was good at Sao Paulo at the start. It was bad at the end. He was good at Toluca at the end. It was bad at the start. And then after that, every other club has been a mess. So I, I hope he can get it back on track because he definitely ha- he definitely has the talent to succeed in um, most leagues in the world. Okay, absolutely. No, he's he's very classy. So hopefully, hopefully he does have the chance to shine there in Turkey. Uh, Peter, tell me, uh, Gonzalo Tapia, uh, he looks like he's maybe moving uh, in the right direction. Celta Vigo, are you happy with this move? I am very happy with that move for for Tapia. Um, I feel like Spain really suits his template of a player. Um, He's not the quickest. He is a little bit slow on the turn. So I feel like competing in a league like the Netherlands where it's very fast-paced and very frantic didn't really suit him. Um, Yes, he had a couple of successful spells at Twente at Willem II on loan from Feyenoord, but overall his time in the Netherlands has been kind of mixed. I feel like going to Spain where he has I think a bit more emphasis on possession on, on being a little more resourceful with the ball is going to help him a lot. And in his debut with Celta Vigo, I thought he looked pretty decent as well. Um, yes, some of the passes were errant, but I thought positionally he didn't look out of place. I thought he wasn't too overwhelmed with any of the pressure that was coming his way. Um, and considering the fact that it is a new season and he didn't have a lot of time to adapt, that will come. Um, but I do love the move for him from a personal point of view and from the national team point of view, because he'll actually be playing regularly in his primary position in a top quality league. So it's good all the way around. Okay. Sounds good. And Brian, um, obviously an important striker, an important forward for, Peru over the years has been Edison Flores, still only what twenty six years old. He's he's started young, uh, but he's moved to the United States. Uh, it's been a move that uh, quite a few South American players have made recently at, at DC United. What have you been your impressions of his first few games at the side? And do you think this is a move that a move that keeps him in the national team picture and perhaps still enables him to maybe make a further step up in the future? I think he'll be in the national team as long as Gareca's around because he's a very systematic player. He's not too easy to understand. It takes a few games to see um, what he offers. Uh, it, it, and I just spoiler, it's a lot. It's a, he offers a lot for sure. But I think that he, um, the, one of the problems here is um, Ben Olsen. Uh, the DC United signed him, and Ben Olsen just not been using him right, which is uh, DC United's manager. Now, just a little bit of correction, Simon. Uh, Edison Flores is not a striker; he's a left winger or a number ten. But you're not you're not far off, anyways, because Ben Olsen has been using him as a number nine, and it's it's not been working. The MLS is back tournament. He was pretty poor. Uh, he was benched in the last game. I think he had a. I think he wasn't 100 percent fit. I don't remember, but I, I had a hunch that it was it was because uh, Ben Olsen didn't like his performances, which would have been stupid because he's a DP. And DPs just can't be benched in the MLS. It's more it's more of the rule than the exception. But uh, the the pro- Eddie's and Flores, the, the problem I see all with him at DC United is he did look a little bit overweight. Uh, I'm sure Peter can confirm me on that after what's been going on with uh, his uh, his diet and situation because he knows more about MLS than I do. But um, the first few games I wasn't impressed. He didn't play well, and then uh, I think like three games into the MLS tournament uh, returning, not the MLS is back, but the tournament that came after, where they're playing re- in the regions rather than um, in the whole country. Uh, I- I- he got injured, and it looked like a pretty bad injury. So uh, he's still out, and 
honestly, he's not he's not been good at DC. Whereas at Morelia, he was lights out. So he wasn't as good as Reed Diaz, but he was lights out. He was pretty. He was really really good at Morelia when uh, he got the chance to use. So yeah, uh, I I think Flores needs to be deployed as a left winger or as a number ten. Uh, I preferably think he's better as a number ten, which is not his natural position, but that's where he played at Morelia. And he was re- he was really quite good. He uh he was a, it was a bit of a revelation. So yeah, why, Peter, why don't you quickly tell us about the diet situation? Is he overweight or is he just uh he's just gotten stronger? No, I think it's just his over. I, I feel like he has bulked up a little bit, maybe just to compete with the with, with the physical aspect. But he doesn't look the fittest, and obviously that's going to happen when you have to go to Orlando with that sweltering humidity and you haven't played a lot, and the team isn't really built around you at this point, which is why I think he did so well at Morelia, is because he was the main man. Um, And if he's going to play as the number 10 for DC, I feel like that has to be the situation, and it just hasn't really been the case. He hasn't been too involved on the ball, which is a little bit redundant, because why would you bring him in to provide that creative spark if you're not going to get him the ball? So that's kind of the one conundrum that I feel a lot of DC United fans and Peruvians have at this point in time with Flores, is that before the injury, he just wasn't getting involved enough, and it just perplexed a lot of people. Another another problem before uh, Simon gets in, um, another problem I see is that he's... um, I feel like DC United has a much worse squad for their league than Morelia did. Like, Morelia didn't have the best squad in the world, but they had good enough players around him to make him work. Like, Flores is a good player, but he's not messy, not even for his league. So I feel like if you have decent players around him, then he'll, he'll shine. But if you... If if you don't, then uh, he's he's not going to be great, and uh, I think his time at Alborg proves that. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, Brian, I'll stick with you for a second. So, looks like Luis Abraham's staying in uh, in Argentina uh, with Vélez. What are your thoughts? Would you have liked to have seen him make a big move to Europe, or are you happy with him staying and being an important defender in the Argentine league? I'm happy with either, but I would have definitely preferred him go to Europe because he has an EU passport, which is what we really like to see in Peruvians. It, it helps them move abroad, and it, it, it's really it's really a good thing to have. Um, but Argentina is a very respectable league, and I, I wouldn't mind him staying there. So I'm not really upset that he didn't move to Europe. Uh, maybe a little bit disappointed, but not, it could have been much worse. Uh, I, I think at Belis, to begin with, Abraham was a revelation at Belis. In For Cristal, he was really bad. Maybe not really bad, but he was um, he was not that good at all. And... Gareca seemed to like him. See, he seemed to see something in him. So he recommended him to Beles. And yeah, he's been very good. He's been praised by uh, fans and pundits alike. And uh, I think he was ready for that move to Europe. But uh, Beles, it's not like he's playing for San Martin de San Juan. He's playing for a, a very respectable club in Argentina. So it's not uh, it's not the worst thing in the world that didn't, he didn't move. But I think that uh, it would definitely be preferable, especially after all the rumors over the summer. Uh, that or, or, or Argentina's winter, whatever, wherever you're listening to this, it definitely would have been preferable. But uh, some things are just not meant to be. Uh, Belles was asking for too much, and the European clubs were just not obliging. Obliging uh, was it? How's it pronounced? Okay, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. They weren't. They weren't budging, and um, that that's one of the main issues that why they didn't move. They, I think Belles wanted eight million for him, and clubs like Bologna would only offer four million about so it wasn't the easiest thing and not everything is meant to be but like i said it's okay that he's staying i just wish he uh, i just hope i just hope he does move at some point uh in the future 
Yeah, still 24, so still time on his hands. Um, Peter, from a Colombian perspective, I'm quite interested. Uh, America de Cali have been looking for a striker. They they wanted to bring Michael Rangel back, but the, the money didn't seem to kind of add up for them and they've been searching. And it looks as though they may be settling on uh, Aldair Rodriguez, who's been playing for Binacional. It's going to be quite different going from the altitude of Binacional to uh, Cali, a hot city down in Colombia. Uh, do you think he'll adapt and what will he bring to the side if the deal goes through? Well, I think the fact that you're seeing a lot of these uh, players who were maybe more used to the altitude playing this year, at least the the restart in Lima, you're now starting to see whether or not they are quote-unquote altitude players. Um, And I believe Rodriguez is one of those who is kind of proving that to be a myth because he's been very solid in the restart. He scored, I believe, in the first game back for Binacional. It was in a loss, but regardless, still managed to score. Probably should have had a couple more goals in the two subsequent games after that. Um, Even though he is 26, I feel like he's a bit of a late bloomer. Um, He's had interest from Europe, specifically um, in Turkey, as well as from uh, Saragossa in Spain. Um, But it looks like he might be shifting his attention to Colombia. I don't think that's a bad move for him. I like the way that he that he does play, especially from the national team perspective, because he's more in that Paolo Guerrero style mold in that he can hold up the ball, but he can make those incisive runs in behind off the last shoulder of defenders. Um, and he's shown that with currently this year, at least uh, six goals in the league. And last year he had, I believe it was 11 in the league in about 2000 or yeah, 2000 minutes, I believe it was. Um, so a pretty decent return for a player who, tends to kind of roam all over the pitch, but when he gets into open space is very, very lethal. Um, and he should be someone that I feel would be in high demand, especially because he would be available for what would be a reasonable price. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like he fits the bill. Um, America de Cali have an interesting attack, attacking three. Uh, Duvan Vergara on the left, who's obviously a very, very good player, wanted by a lot of big teams. Adrian Ramos, who hasn't played his best form, but obviously is a player with a lot of pedigree, a national team player who's played in Europe with Dortmund. So it could be a, a good fit for Aldair. He's definitely going to be joining a, a talented attacking three. So one to I should also bring up uh, one of Peter's points at the start about him being an altitude player. Uh, yes, the, the myth wasn't busted completely until the restart. But I should mention that he did have more away goals than he did home goals. So um, I think it away from home at the start of the season at like three or four goals before the stop. So it's not a bad total. And uh, one, of, one of those goals was in Cusco. The others were in places like uh, Trujillo, places on the coast. So he has been doing well for himself in general. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. So let's call Pelibertadores briefly because <laughs> is it two teams, right? Um, Binacional and Alianza anyone else yes okay. yep. just alright cool and they're both bottom of their groups alright cool <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so, classic so passive aggressive I love it alright let's go okay let's look at the Copa Libertadores and I'm being quite unfair because uh, the Libertadores is going to restart in about an hour and a half's time. So this is the worst possible time to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, Brian, tell me, Binacional in a group with River Plate, Sao Paulo, LDU Quito and uh, and Binacional. Some good news and some bad news so far for, for Binacional, no? 
Yeah. Uh, see, I think Minas United have one more win in them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna have a little bit of faith in them. Uh, the the first thing I should mention about B Nacional is um, when they lost to River eight nil, and uh, while that was a very deserved result for River, and uh, that was I think the worst result in history for Peruvian Santa Libertadores. Uh, they had a much worse defense than they do now. Like the defense is still not great. Don't get me wrong; it's it's okay, average at best. But they had a center, they had a Paraguayan center back, Neri Barreiro, who might have been the worst center back I've ever seen in the Peruvian league. He was awful. His positioning was just all over the place, and he just unstabilized the defense. He played against River, and yeah, it was it's no shock what happened. Uh, even he, Ro Fernandez even had to save two penalties. Uh, because the defense was just so unorganized, and they were committing stupid mistakes in the box, fouls, and it was a mess. Uh, even against Sao Paulo, the defense Sao Paulo should have put the game away by the first half, and uh, they they let themselves they let Binacional get back into the game. So, but I, I feel like they will compete a little bit more now. I feel like Binacional. Um, well, I I don't think that, I definitely don't think they'll make it through the group. I don't even think they'll make Sudamericana. I think the group is just a little bit too far ahead of them. For uh, their own, uh, for their own sake, but I do think they have at least one draw, or one win left in them, and that could be tonight. I think today's their be- tonight's the best chance to do so. Um, I think I, I think against Quito, uh, where Ecuadorian sides usually struggle away from home, and I've seen it in one of the stats I posted on Twitter earlier today um, that they struggle uh, away even against Peruvian sides who have been so underwhelming in concept of competitions. I think they have a chance to get one, uh, one. Uh, one more win. And I think Quito's the one to do that. So I think River is a bit unlikely. I still think River will beat them, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I have a little bit of faith. They have a good, they have a good attack. Andy Polar, Johan Arango, and uh, if Alari Rodriguez stays, him. And even then, they have a decent backup in Gularte. So they, they have some decent players. It just, the defense is just not good enough. And the midfield is, it's a little bit better than average, but it's still not that good. Okay, well, either people will be nodding in agreement and, and showing great respect for Brian perfectly predicting uh, Binacional's positive result, which will already have happened once this podcast goes out, or you're going to look a bit silly, Brian. I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here. We'll see We'll see what happens. Um, it's a risk. Maybe it'll look really good, maybe it'll look really bad. <laughs> and Peter... It depends what happens tonight. <laughs> yeah. So, Peter, does the lack of altitude mean the end of Binacional's chances of some more big wins or can they pick up a few more points and is Johan Aranjo being absolutely brilliant the Colombian Thierry Henry or has he gone missing and uh, maybe found the bars of uh, Peru a bit too tempting oh man um, that's a very loaded question no pun intended but um, I mean look they're probably going to be in trouble just because of what Brian said and that their defense is just atrocious. Um, they got away with it at home because obviously Juliaca is basically 20,000 kilometers above sea level. So uh, obviously they're going to benefit, especially against a Brazilian club. And then as soon as they kind of got back on literally level playing ground, um, then you saw their weaknesses. Uh, I, I thought that Arango in that Sao Paulo game was tremendous. I thought that he was easily the best player, maybe alongside uh, Rodriguez. But, um, you know, I feel like he was on the brink of leaving, and the fact that he's now sticking around is a good good thing because I feel like on his day, he is one of the best foreign players in the league, and I feel like he's a massive part of how Binacional attacks. So I feel 
fairly confident that they can maybe get a result at some point here, but I I am afraid that they probably will end up finishing bottom just because they're not going to be in the altitude of Juliaca to maybe help mask their defensive weaknesses. Yeah, I I like to jump in quickly. I'd also say that uh, the negative eight goal difference really does not. Oh, negative seven. Sorry, really does not help them. So that means if they draw on points with anyone, they're gonna finish below them. So that's another thing. And to answer your question, Simon, I think si- uh, Johan Arango has been very good in the league. Uh, in Libertadores, jury's out still, but in the league, he's uh he's been consistent enough. Yeah, I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant player. Um, this is just my frustrations because I know how incredibly good he can be. Um, he has all of the quality and the the, fa- the pace and the physicality to be a Colombian national team player, but distractions off the field have held him back. And, you know, I'd like to see him um, pop up and have a good performance here or there in the Libertadores because he's definitely capable of it. Okay, so we've got some positives here for Binacional. Um, what about Alianza Lima? Obviously a big name struggling in the league. Brian, what do you think of their chances in Group F alongside uh, Racing Club, Nacional and Estudiantes? Looks like an easier group perhaps on paper. Do they have a, a chance? Uh, I want to say yes. And I'm, I'm not actually for this one, I'm not going to make any predictions because this one is could go either way. Uh, the reason I say this, to begin with, I went to the game against Nacional when I was in Lima back in March. Uh, they lost 1-0. They conceded in the first five seconds of the game. And uh, the whole game, it, it, near, near the end, it looked like they might get an equalizer, but it didn't happen. And I think that was the game to win for Alianza. And because of that, I don't think they'll progress, but I think they might finish to Americana. It all depends on tomorrow's game. Uh, the, the thing with tomorrow is, even though Alianza are struggling, even though they look like they, they can't beat anyone at the moment... If they don't beat Estudiantes de Merida, it is a real failure, and it's not because I it's not because I'm underestimating Estudiantes de Merida. It's more because they're, they're Estudiantes de Merida have gone without playing for six months. Uh, I, I'm not even sure if they're training at the moment, it, but they haven't they haven't restarted the league in Venezuela. Uh, they they haven't played for about six months, and their manager is going to direct their team via Zoom apparently. So even with Alianza's problems, if they cannot win tomorrow, it is. Um, Tomorrow in recording time, of course, then it's they're definitely not even going to finish third because it's it's for the taking, really. And I think Silas has to reorganize his team. One thing about Alianza's Asquiz won't be playing tomorrow, so that could either be really good or really bad because Asquiz has shown moments of brilliance uh, where he can pr- show he's the game changer, but he's so frustrating when he's not playing, when he's not on a form because it's, it's always sideways passes or back passes, and it's never any creativity, never any. Uh, he's always very static. And we know that's not what he's capable of because we know he's he can do a lot more with the ball. So I think that Alianza uh, have a chance to finish Sudamericana. I'm kind of losing faith on them going through the group just because of that first result. Maybe if they can beat Racing at home, uh, it's um, it's possible, but that's a big if, I, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, obviously one factor is Racing also haven't had contact training yet. Um, it is a very strange situation with Peruvian sides having played matches. This could definitely benefit them. And I, and I don't think any team in this group, despite Racing and Nacional having you know six points with everyone else on, on zero, I saw Racing really struggle against Estudiantes. So it's perhaps a bit tighter than it looks on paper. Peter, do you give Alianza much of a chance? I give them a fairly decent chance. I know that initially I spoke about their issues attacking, but I feel like 
with some of these potentially at least younger players getting thrown into the fire, um, they're going to either sink or swim. If they swim, then I feel Alianza can maybe make a late push to get into the top two. I mean, a lot would have to go their way, but even under Bengochea, they look fairly solid. I think they were unlucky to, to at least lose both games. Um, maybe deserve one loss, but maybe not two. And, the fact that they're going to be in a very favorable situation should maybe help lift their confidence. And maybe that'll help unlock the attack a little bit, especially if Bato can get going up front. If Austin Mora is, is a live wire and, and gets involved um, and they get a, a massive win to kind of help reinvigorate themselves. Then I feel that they have a decent shot for sure. <laughs> move on to the Peruvian national team um, so let's go Brian kick off tell me what is the kind of system that Peru have been playing have there been any changes it looks like it's one of the more settled side in South America okay yeah I, I, I agree with the most settled side but Gareca has been experimenting a little more in in the last year starting from the Copa America where until the 5-0 loss to Brazil he was playing a more direct 4-3-3 Although, after the final of Brazil, we basically just scrapped that and went back to the old system, which brought us to the final. So, it, it, it's definitely not a bad thing, but it is kind of running its course. And I don't think it's because of the system itself is uh, getting washed up. I think it's more because of the players are um, starting to, are getting older and getting on, especially since it relied a lot on Carrillo and Flores. Carrillo still has pace. He still works, but he's not as effective as he once was. And uh, Flores... Jury's out. Uh, we might move him to a 10. We might play Pacheco on the left wing. Uh, Fluminense's Pacheco. So, um, yeah, I think that's one thing we have to worry about. Uh, one interesting thing, and I, I'm not sure if you saw the game, Simon, but um, against Colombia last November, Gareca tried a very interesting system. And it was working brilliantly in the first half. They played a 4-4-2. Guerrero and um, Guerrero Ruiz-Diaz as, uh, as the starting two. Advincula in a in right midfielder instead of right back. Some of the experiments weren't so great, like the Advincula experiment. But the, I really like how the team was functioning. I think it was a very effective system. I think Rivas finally had a shot until he was subbed off. Uh, that was until the second half, but that wasn't due to the system itself. That was more due to Gareca just tr- tr- going, uh, thinking, thinking of a stupid idea, taking off all the holding midfielders and just putting in creative midfielders. And then Colombia took over from there and won the game. So I, I, I think that the system itself was interesting. We've got to see more of it. But uh, that, that second half, I definitely don't count it because Gareca messed up with the subs. I think the system okay, is, is itself was interesting and fine, and I would like to see more of it. So, Peter, um, looking at, through the side, um, there still seems to be a lot of importance on Paulo Guerrero. Um, first of all, can you give me an update on his injury situation, which is obviously a big concern? And then also, I mean, moving forward, is there going to be an, uh, a clear replacement for Guerrero? Is it going to require a tactical shift? It looks as though the defence perhaps is, is more solid. Um, you've got the likes of Tapia in front, who's, who's very good. 
Um, but for me, Guerrero has been very, very important as a focal point um, for this Peruvian side. And, and how do you see them kind of adapting to a post-Guerrero or pre-Guerrero recovery um, stage? <laughs> Yeah, that's really the burning question at this point in time, especially because it looks like he's going to be out until I believe at least March, if not April or May, depending on the severity of the injury and how well he recovers. Um, he tends to take care of himself, which is obviously great news. Uh, I don't think you'd be in your late 30s and, and playing as regularly as he is if you don't. Um, but I think getting another serious knee injury is really going to test this, especially at his age. Um, and I think the fact that Gareca did call up, you know, Matias Sukar, for example, from Municipal, uh, the 21-year-old striker who actually just scored a couple goals the other day. Um, you know, he's probably going to be one candidate. I'm sure Rodriguez, who we've talked about a little bit on the pod as well, is probably going to be a candidate, especially if he moves abroad. Um, you know, so there are a couple options, I suppose, which is... More than you can say even a few months ago, that was really the big crisis was who's going to replace Paolo. You know, there's no options coming through. Are we going to have to tinker the system to accommodate Rui Diaz, which would definitely have to happen if Rui Diaz was the number nine. But I could see, um, for example, even though he doesn't have a club, but someone like Jefferson Farfan starting as a false nine in a 4-3-3, uh, maybe they give Rui Diaz a shot and tinker the system a little bit. I don't really see that happening. Um but I feel like that there are options coming through is encouraging because now there is a little bit of light at the end of the Guerrero tunnel for Peru. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously as well, uh, Gajesi in goal generally looks very good. Um, Brian, what about the defense? So I'm guessing Luis Abraham, uh, Santa Maria, is, is he the other centre-back? And, and Chauco is obviously pretty good. Who would you go right back? Would you go Advinculo? What do you see the back for? And are you happy with Gajese? I, I imagine he's a uh, first name on the team sheet, really. Okay. I'm going to start with centre-backs. I think centre-backs is the most depth Peru has in any position. And uh, there's just so many options in centre-back. Like, even... Even some of the league Liga Uno options are great, even for the national team. I think this is this is definitely a position Peru do not have to worry about. However, there is one little catch, and that is the second center back is still up for grabs. The, one of the center backs is Abram, without a doubt. Uh, Sambrano has the other center back spot uh, at the moment, but he's he's a ticking time bomb. Like he's he he's a red card waiting to happen. A lot of people say he's improved his discipline. I don't think he has. I think his tackling is still very rough. And uh, in my opinion, he's actually gotten a little bit worse at defending as well. He was a lot. He was he was a brilliant defender a few years ago, but this now he's uh he's okay at best. Like he he makes he makes some mistakes. He's playing out of the back isn't great, and um his tackling is just so rough, which is a shame because I really did like Sambrano when he was at Frankfurt. But I think I, I do think he's declined, and I wouldn't have him as a second option. Now, um, the other there's, there's other options. Santa Maria is an option, although he's not playing at Atlas, so it's kind of hard to see him. Cayens, uh, a New York City, who I don't think is great for the national team, but he clearly is one of the better defenders in the MLS, which is definitely something rare considering the MLS defense is not that great to begin with. And um, other options, there's uh, Mudo Rodriguez, who is uh, injury-prone. He was the World Cup center back and the World Cup qualifying center back. He's still the best center back in the Liga Uno, even with his injuries, even with his uh, rip-off contracts for Alianza and Lau. He's still the best center back in the league when he's fit. Uh, there's the young, young Franco Chavez, who plays for Cristal, who's a, very much an option. There's just so many options at center back. It's, it's hard enough to see um, 
it's it's hard to see a real weak point there. Uh, of course, it's not world class, but it's um it's very good. It's, it can definitely hold its own against anyone. Right back looks solid as well. A lot of people say it's uh it's not great. There's not much depth at right back, but I disagree. I think right back's fine. Uh, Biamarin right now is the best right back in the in the in the Liga Uno. Uh, he plays for Ayacucho. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, of course, uh, he didn't do well at Alianza, but I think this time, if you put him at Alianza now, I think he will succeed. I think he will do better. Alo Corso has been there for years, 31. His experience is still is fairly strong. He's still one of the best right backs in the league. Alvincula. So there is um, there's depth there. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's a lot better than people give it credit for. The left back, on the other hand, is a complete mess. There's Miguel Trauco. Miguel Trauco plays for Saint-Etienne, who... You know, I do rate him, but he doesn't. The, the, every every club he goes to, the coaches don't seem to rate him very much. So he doesn't get much playing time, and as a result, he does he looks pretty bad for the national team. But when when he does get a run, he's he's brilliant, as we saw in the Copa America last year, where he started off poorly, he got a bit of a run, and then he uh, improved and was one of the best left backs in the tournament. Uh, then after that, you have Santian, who I think is definitely the second option. Then after that, who do you have? Like even in the league. I'd say 36-year-old Jair Cespedes, who was the right back, the left back in Peru a long time ago. I still think he was the third best. I still think he's the third best left back in the league. And then there's Nilsson Loyola, who has been improving for Cristal, but is still not very good. And Marcos Lopez, who is young, but has been a kind of has been a bit of a mess in the MLS so far. So it's kind of hard to say. And I'm not gonna go on goalkeepers too much. I think we have a lot of decent goalkeeping options, but Gales is number one for years to come still. So yeah. Okay, um, Peter. Um, so, are there any? This sounds like a solid group. You know, for me, Peru looked like a solid team with a, an experienced manager. One key issue in terms of replacing Paulo Guerrero and how that requires a reshuffle. But one thing that can lift a team or can give momentum to a project is some youth. Uh, obviously, Clivert Aguilar is perhaps a little bit young, but why the hell not throw him in? Um, are there any other young players, U20 players, who could really kind of give a lift or give something new to this group? Not a U20 player, but just briefly exceeds the age gap. And, I'm, you know, Brian has heard me wax poetic about him for a while now, but Martin Tabra, a surprise, surprise, Sporting Cristal, who seemed to have all the promising young players at this point in time. Um, he is playing in the Yotun role at Cristal. Um, Roberto Mosquera put him there uh, right before the resumption, and he has not looked out of place at all. He's been very silky smooth on the ball. He's he's looking like a very calm and, and composed orchestrator. Um, defensively, I think he's getting fairly stuck in. He isn't the most agile player, which might expose him against, uh, let's say, counterattacking sides, but I feel he is quite intelligent with his anticipation and how he reads the game and because he is quite tall he is able to I think reach in and, and, and be able to make those crucial interventions when he needs to um, so to kind of make up for that lack of speed but he's certainly one who I could see making an impact very very soon um, I already mentioned Matias Sukar as another one Osling Mora uh, Brian will be very happy to hear that the right wing position's a little bit wide open there are some options he could be someone who can push in to the conversation and really make that place his own um there are a number of center back options as brian brought up as well but to me those would be probably the main ones especially because 
with Yotun getting up there a little bit in age. He is 30 years old, probably has a couple of very quality years left, but after that, you wonder who's going to come in and replace him. If Davra kicks on for the rest of this year, I could see him going abroad and making even bigger steps in his game. There's a hint of uh, kind of the Pedro Aquino development arc. You just hope that maybe injuries don't plague him as much as it has for Aquino. Okay, sounds good. All right, guys, before we finish on the on the Peru national team, I'm going to have to ask you, Brian, are Peru going to the next World Cup? And how are they going to do in the Copa America? Will it be taken seriously? So I want a position or you could give me a kind of a, a, a window between a couple of positions. Where are Peru? Are they in the top tier? I would, from the face of it, I would say maybe you've got Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Uruguay. And then there's a few others, and then maybe Bolivia at the bottom, not to be unkind. But where do you see Peru in, in that? I mean, it's definitely a very competitive qualifying um, group this for the coming years. Yeah, if we qualify, which I think we will, because as long as Garaka stays, I think we will. I definitely think it will be a between it will be a fight between sixth, fifth, and fourth again. Uh, honestly, I don't think Uruguay is shooting to be honest, because Suarez is declining. Uh, no one knows about Cavani's future. I think Cavani's great right now. I think he's one of the best strikers South America's got to offer. But he's um he he no one knows what's going to go on with him. Like if he goes to Gremio, he could be a Tevez and just lower his level. Uh, so who knows? But I think I, I think Uruguay are definitely not a shoe in because they like they they've not really besides their midfield they've not I don't think they've had a, a, a world class team uh, overall at least not. A player that stands out as much as Suarez did. did. So, yeah, they're not a shoo-in, in my opinion. I do think they will qualify, but I don't think they're a shoo-in. But anyways, this is about Peru. Um, yeah, I think I don't think Bolivia will finish bottom either because we always see a different uh, team finish bottom. I think the bottom three will be between Bolivia, Chile, and Ecuador. I think those are the ones that are going to struggle. Ecuador because of managerial issues. Chile just struggling to transition to the next generation. And Bolivia, we all know why. I think the, the next three spots will be fought by... Venezuela, Peru, and Paraguay, and then the, the the top half by everyone else. So that's what I think. I think that Peru is going to fight it out with Paraguay and Venezuela. Uh, maybe Argentina, they continue to be underwhelming, but I think Argentina will qualify. I think they definitely are shooing. I just don't think they'll do it comfortably. Okay. Uh, Peter, do you share Brian's... I think that's generally pretty optimistic uh, between a playoff uh, direct qualification and just missing out. Do you see them in that kind of bracket? Yeah, I think so. And and for all the reasons he mentioned, um, I mean, I feel because of the fact they might have to tinker a little bit at the beginning, it might hurt their progress initially, much like it did uh, in the last cycle. Like their start wasn't too promising. It kind of took a, a last gas victory over Paraguay to get their first win. I think it was after their fourth or fifth game. Um, so I could maybe see something happening here and, and their start is pretty difficult, but their ending is a little more favorable. So maybe that'll That'll help them kind of get over the line in the end. Um, but in terms of the Copa America prediction, I think they'll get through the the first group. Um, and then I think from there, it just depends. It also depends on how Gareca approaches the tournament, considering that it will be in the middle of qualifiers. Um, maybe he wants to rest his key guys and kind of test out some of those younger players that he called into the camp this month to see what they can do in a competitive setting and see who he can utilize for the second half of the qualifiers, uh, much like he did in 2016 with the Copa America in the U.S. So um, pretty, I, I'm pretty optimistic about both. Um probably more so for the World Cup qualifiers, just because even though they are unpredictable, you imagine that the squads in certain sections will be relatively consistent. 
Yeah, uh, but I want to jump in before. I'll try and make it quick, Simon. Um, I agree with Peter on the Copa America. I think it will be great to try and test out a new, few new guys. Be, otherwise, we can become like Chile and Barcelona. We just didn't give them... I, I'm going to throw Barcelona in this as well because I feel like Barcelona have stagnated with their squad. They, they don't know where to go from there. They don't know how to transition from Messi. And the same with Chile from Sanchez, Vidal, Aranguis, those guys. So they don't. They just give chances to the, to the old, old guard and they don't give it to the new guard. So I think that will be a great opportunity. The Copa America, I would have loved to win it. Last year, uh, honestly, I wasn't too gutted about losing the final because Brazil just never lose at home ever. So I wasn't too gutted, and it would have been nice to win it this time. Uh, we tr- we could still win it. Like, who says we can't? But uh, I'm, if we use the new guard, I, I would prefer to use a transition and then try and win the Copa after that. That would be my, um, be my, uh, t- uh, my, my point there. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I think um, looking at the outside, I think Peru have the benefit of a, a manager who knows the side, who've got a, 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 a plan that they can kind of tinkle with, as opposed to the likes of Venezuela, who we've been excited about with a good young generation. And now, have they lost their way a bit? We're not shy, sure where they are. Ecuador, again, a great generation, a load of great talent, but they went for Bolillo, who, who is old school as you can, as they come. And then Cruyff, who knows? Who knows where they are now as well? And then Paraguay are looking to transition. So, you know, I think this might be the World Cup qualifying uh, system that perhaps benefits the teams that are a bit more sensible. And I think Peru, with a few additions from some of these younger players and, and a clear system, I think they might, they might just do enough to maybe get in. But it's going to be interesting. Um, I think... One of these exciting teams are going to fulfill that potential and at least one of them is going to perhaps struggle. So I think maybe the Mr. Consistent in the middle might might just do enough. Anyway, we will have to see. Uh, we're going to find out in ooh, just under a month now before World Cup qualifying starts, which is going to be a lot of fun. My favourite World Cup, uh, My favourite World Cup qualifying competition in the world. So thank you very much, Peter. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me at Galindo PW. Catch all my work on the Peruvian Waltz and on Sportsnet as well. Excellent. And Brian, what about you? You can follow me at BrianBertie1998 on Twitter. Okay, excellent. And guys, so thanks very much for listening. We're going to be looking at another country again very soon. If you guys want some extra content, we have the Patreon as well, which includes profiles of all of the top Colombian talent, as well as guys to cities around South America, We've been to Buenos Aires, Bogotá, Medellín, Sao Paulo most recently, and we'll have another one coming up before the end of the month. So if you like what we do, then go and support us. Uh, You can subscribe for a couple of dollars a month and you get hours and hours of extra content. Basically, any half-decent Colombian players got all of the details. So go check it out. And thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back again shortly with another episode. 